Listen, we are in the heyday of the bodysuit, of the Velcro wrap around the waist. And I feel like it snuck up on us. Yes, it feels like everything and everyone wants to be shaped inside of their clothes. You know who is my favorite person that talks about shapewear? Who? Well, they make my favorite shapewear ads and they're like, I'm trying to be shaped like a Coca-Cola bottle. Alonzo Arnold. Ah! Oh, <laughs> I love Alonzo Arnold. They're giving you looks and they are giving you comedy. So I love it. But just like you said, Alonzo Arnold is going to put on that shapewear, honey. Mm-hmm. And Alonzo isn't the only one. A Mm-mm. lot of people are. And it really makes us think like, has this always been going on just in different forms and now it's acceptable? I feel like we're one step away from the sports bra outside the shirt. <laughs> this really started with the slippery slope with the compression sock. It all goes back to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Titi. And I'm Zakia. And from Spotify, this is Dope Labs. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Dope Labs, a weekly podcast that mixes hardcore science, pop culture, and a healthy dose of friendship. The semester is winding down, and we want to have a really special semester finale featuring all of you. So make sure you give us a call and let us know your favorite episode from this semester. Yes, Call us 202-567-7028 or if you're shy with your voice, email us at contact at dopelabspodcast.com. This week, we're talking all about shapewear. Specifically, we really wanted to know more about where it all started, what it's made of, and the social impacts on the people that wear it. Let's get into the recitation. What do we know? Well, we know that shapewear is everywhere. It feels like it's in everything. I just bought a pair of pants, just regular black pants. Mm -hmm. And there was like some shapewear at the top. It was really 
tight at the top and I wasn't even expecting it. So now it's being incorporated into just regular apparel. You know, I feel like when the Spanx lady really made it big. Oh, yeah. I knew every celebrity was going to have their shapewear line. Shapewear and like body sculpting, all of those yeah. with underwear and undergarments. It's a huge thing. Absolutely. And we know that people use different types for different things. <laughs> they have the compression stuff in the gut and uh-huh. they letting it loose in the butt. Okay. I have seen that. <laughs> I've seen it for myself. I've seen it with my own eyes. And, you know, a thing I know you know about me is that I hate shapewear. All my friends are like, girl, that dress would be so cute if you had on some Spanx or you had on some Don't say all your friends. Not me. No, not all my friends. Not you. You don't do that to me. (laughs) I want your gut and butt loose. (laughs) Thank you. You let me be my real self. (laughs) But it also feels like it's, really taking off where celebrities are coming out with their own shapewear brands and now it's like in every home yeah Lizzo has Yiddy Kim Kardashian has Skims mm-hmm. everybody in Atlanta has their own brand of those like corsets and things and yeah. tummy buster things so yeah and then I see a bunch of them on Instagram like sweet sweat where it's like a waist thing like a waist trainer mm-hmm But I have a lot of questions. Like, why is this so popular now? I know we're going back to the maiden-type dresses and Victorian (laughs) styles. Like, are we getting back to the corset? (laughs) Yes. Are we getting back to that? I'm not ready if we are. I'm not either. I'm not wearing a hoop skirt. Hey, the doorways are not wide enough anymore. (laughs) I think I want to know, as a material scientist, like, the technology that's going into shapewear and these new age corsets because they're not your great 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 granny's corsets (laughs) and i'm also curious about like the impact on society particularly when we think about body image and what we normalize in addition to photoshop these types of shapewear contraptions are really changing what the beauty standards are like oh, this is normal or this is not. When you go back, Mm -hmm. I was looking at some old photos and they were like, oh, this person was too thick or they were too, this person was plus size or they were X, Y, and Z. I'm like, in the 90s, it was messed up. But now I'm like, have we gone the other way where we're like big booty, little leg, you know, or really (laughs) flat stomach, unexpected smoothness in these different places. Right. What does that do to our images of self for men and women when we take those things off? Is it just women wearing these shapewear? Because I think men are wearing them too. I've seen them. Let's jump into the dissection. Our guest for today's lab is Dr. Wendy Burns Artelino. I'm Wendy Burns Artelino. I am the Dean of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at the University of Houston downtown, and I am a cultural studies practitioner and scholar. Dr. Burns Artelino is the author of Jiggle, Reshaping American Women, a book about American women and their relationship to traditional foundation garments and modern shapewear. Most of us have probably heard about Spanx, like we talked about already, but we wanted to learn more about what came before Spanx. How did the idea of shapewear come to be? Well, it begins with the corset. That all kind of began 
in the 19th century, and you would be hard pressed in Western society to find a woman who didn't wear a corset in that time frame. By the 20th century, basically corsetry is on the ropes a bit. Corsets were traditional foundation garments, so garments that go under your clothes before you put your clothes on top. It was made to support a woman's torso, to hold the woman's torso in and train it into a specific desired shape. They were handmade from rigid materials like wood, ivory, and whalebone. As the quote-unquote ideal image and shape of women changed throughout time, so did corsets. So there were multiple styles of corsets throughout history. And my question is why? You know, why are women supposed to be wearing whalebones while men are walking (laughs) around in free-flowing pants? The arguments about the need to wear foundation garments and to wear shaping garments, and some of those include medical discourse that women's bodies will actually not hold their form. Women are not muscular enough, so they need the external garment to hold their form for them. Otherwise, their organs are going to just kind of drop out of their bodies or something like that. And I've done some work in sport discourse as well with regard to women who run. Some of the medical discourse was that their uteruses would fall out of their bodies so that there would be this collapsing of organs. This idea that if you were going to be bearing children that you needed to have a certain form for that, that you needed to care for your woman parts and uh, wearing shapewear was a part of that. This is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. Let me tell you, we've talked about science and how it can be racist, sexist, and homophobic, but you can see it specifically in this scientific talk, quote unquote, from back in the day, and they had it all wrong. Women weren't allowed to run in marathons for this reason. They first started allowing women to run in marathons in like the 70s because of this idea. Right. So the 70s probably for general marathons, but it wasn't until 1984 when women were allowed to participate in the Olympics in the marathons there. That's not that long ago. What's interesting about corsetry itself is really it is a locus of social control for women's bodies. And it really does emerge out of the discourses of hygiene, moral perpetude, bound up with religion, definitely patriarchal values, idealized images of the cult of womanhood and women's role in society. This sounds eerily familiar to women's fashion today and how lots of trends and ideals are dictated by men in the male gaze. High heels, the Coke bottle figure. It seems like Not a lot has changed over the past couple centuries. Yes. I'm not wearing high heels. I don't wear, I don't like wearing high heels. Yeah. You see, I've been wearing my sneakers with my skirt. Okay. (laughs) Like (laughs) these Nikes feel good. So Dr. Burns Ardolino told us that corset use was at a high, but you know, the trends are always changing. Skinny's in, curvy's in, big butt, no butt big butt but only with this shape like you know you're doing all these things to emphasize and de-emphasize your body according to these changing ideals and one thing that was a major factor in the adoption of corset use was the advancement of technology for mass production of garments in the 1930s 
And so this paved the way to the rise of modern shapewear. When they become mass-produced garments, in some ways it democratizes shapewear because then more people can afford it. But I think the flip side of that is that the mass production of it enables it to be more controlled. There's more mass social control at the same time. Mm, that's such a good point. So now it's not just ladies who lunch walking around with their stomachs crushed in, but now it's everybody. And then at that point, more and more people are buying these products, right? And they might have multiple garments as opposed to like when you had a course of, you know, maybe you would only have one or if you were wealthy too at a time because they had to be handmade. Not only did mass production accelerate the growth of the shapewear industry, but new technology and innovation around fabrics and textiles also allowed the market to flourish, boom, and thrive. One of the first fabrics that was used is called Lastex. And with Lastex, the elastic was woven through the fabric to give it some stretch, right? So that's kind of like a precursor to spandex. So Lastex was invented in the 30s, and spandex, which we know for its elasticity, first hit the market in 1958. Although we see it in a lot of things now, it was first used in bras, jock straps, and athletic wear. Now it feels like all our clothes has plastic in it. Yeah. Every item of clothing has some type of stretch, and sometimes you'll be able to see it if your clothes are falling apart, like mine are. <laughs> you can see the little... elastic threading that's also ran through the fabric as well just to give it some give so that when you're pulling on those jeans that they have some stretch I don't want no hard jeans keep the spandex in mind (laughs) I don't even know what it's like to put on a pair of jeans that don't have any stretch nah that's why the cowboys were walking like that yes the jeans were crisp (laughs) they're cardboard pants it's not the horses y'all it was the jeans the whole time (laughs) (laughs) Good grief. Another factor that contributed to the rise of shapewear was advertising. Advertising is occurring in magazines that women have access to, but also trade journals writing to fashion buyers at department stores. And then a third prong of this is that literally a lot of these companies were marketing to the salespeople who were on the floor of the department stores. They would let them try out the garments. They would solicit their feedback. They would recommend how to sell the garments. So they'd be like, you need this garment because this is your problem with your body, right? That's kind of how they sold it. So fast forward to the rise of feminism and the women's movement in the 60s and 70s. Now there's where we see a decline in shapewear use. Feminism is on the rise and women really say, we're not going to have our bodies be objects for men. We're going to enjoy our bodies for our bodies. And culturally, that's such a profound moment. And I know the lore is that women burned their bras. They didn't really burn their bras. They just took them off. But I think the important part to understand about that was it was a moment of collective cultural consciousness when women really in the 70s were like, no, we're not going to subscribe to this anymore. And that went on for probably 20 years. But it was quickly followed up 
with kind of an internal girdleization where women focus so much on what their bodies looked like. So that's a really important point. Even if women weren't wearing bras or shapewear, it doesn't mean that the social conditions that led us to wear shapewear in the first place no longer existed. The girdles are in our minds. Mm. So many people struggle with healthy relationships to eating or exercising. And a lot of that is from social pressure to look a certain way. Shapewear and external garments are just one way of affecting or controlling how our bodies are seen. Women are still trying to constrain themselves into an idealized figure. And if you're not that figure, then what do you do? And these idealized images of what women should look like, well, not only are they unrealistic and sexist, but they also intersect with fat phobia and the idea that a person's weight correlates directly to their health. And that's simply not true. In my book, I actually have like hang tags from the garments themselves that shows you that they're marketing it as slimming, shaping, trimming. Everything is about weight and controlling weight. When you look back at those women's journals like Red Book and Woman's Day, they're actually recommending how to purchase the right shapewear, how to wear the right shapewear, how to do it correctly. So it's very prescriptive filled with do's and don'ts. And again, it's like taking the control away from women of their own bodies. From the garments to the advertising to the reason behind it all in the first place, shapewear seems to point back to one thing, controlling women's bodies. And then there's this weird discourse that I follow throughout these journal, even advertisements for these garments that basically says, wear this garment and it will set you free. It does this weird dichotomy where it's saying that you need to be constrained in order to be set free. And people buy that. Hmm. The math is not mathing for me. (laughs) Women are told by their family members, by their community, by society, by their religious leaders, by the medical community. This is what you need to do in order to be a proper and good woman. Otherwise, like this idea of a loose woman. And hence the title of my book, right? Jiggle. Because we don't want jiggly bits, right? We want to have everything kind of like a laminated and smooth surface. I had no idea that the term loose woman was about their body composition. What? I didn't either. I've always heard it related to something different. Exactly. Dr. Burns Ottolino said the term loose women started with, okay, if you have like jiggly bits as she's saying, that it correlates to you being like promiscuous because all of your, you know, how you're being held together and the patriarchy says, oh, if you're not all held together and tight like that, then you're probably a promiscuous woman. So jiggly bits equals promiscuity. And then as time changed, we changed it to loose woman, like, you know, loose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's wild. Isn't it? Boy... The 19th century still has a grip on us, okay? Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how celebrities are contributing to the shapewear conversation and how social media affects the way we see our bodies. Oh, oh. 
CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand. We're back. Next week, we're talking all about ecotourism with Sarah Stadola, the impacts of travel on the environment and local communities. But right now, let's get back to the lab. We've been talking with Dr. Wendy Burns Ardolino all about the history of shapewear, from corsets to spandex, shapewear's rise and fall in the 70s with the women's movement, and how, well, basically shapewear has had a comeback. And then in the 90s, again, technology allows us to have these really pretty colored garments and stretch lace and spandex is huge part of that. And then the marketability back to women. It feels like shapewear has stuck around and is here to stay. Spanx was launched in 2000. And I can remember when Spanx was launched, I was like, uh, who really needs that? We don't really need that. <laughs> But yeah. I can also remember, you know what else came out that I feel like people don't talk about enough that was borderline shapewear, but make it fashion? American Apparel. Didn't you have some pants from them? Like that shiny... Was that you shapewear? Didn't have, it's not shapewear, but it's like spandex. It's just to your body. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I wore those pants out, honey. It's not shapewear. <laughs> it's not shapewear. It's a brand. No, but the smooth, like... Silhouette. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was all like spandex. Like that was the thing for a while. Yeah. So it started off as underwear. <laughs> then we transitioned to the legging, you know, wearing things that we considered underwear now on the outside. And then now we had full blown bodysuits with the gloves all the way up to the neck. Mock turtleneck. <laughs> That's not my kind of turtleneck. <laughs> Do you remember when people were wearing those like, mm, I'm going to be aging myself, but like those long shirts that were kind of like tunics. Some of them were baby doll shaped, a big belt and just like tights. Yes. I am people. She was me. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew where the belt was supposed to go. I have a short torso. I just felt like it was around my <laughs> neck. I felt like I could <laughs> not get it right. You know? Ooh, wee. And in addition to those brands, I think we've seen another wave of shapewear booming along with the athletic wear, athleisure, with celebrity Mm -hmm. brands like Skims, Ivy Park, Yiddy. Lululemon. Lululemon has a hold on the girls. Well, the girls with money (laughs) because it's expensive. (laughs) And I'm not getting Lululemon because it doesn't come in my size, baby. Well, Yiddy, the reason why it was so important and why people find it groundbreaking is because it prioritizes larger sizes. Like, it starts at 6X. And that's not something that you see for most apparel. Mm -hmm. For a lot of apparel, they might have larger sizes, but they'll only have a few. 
And so those will be sold out really quickly. And so then there's an entire population of people who don't have access to some of the clothing that they would like to have access to. You know, there's a huge mass production of extra, extra smalls and size zeros and things like that. But Mm -hmm. folks that are on the plus size end of the spectrum, they don't have that option, even in store. You can't go into a store and find those sizes. What Lizzo is doing, what Yiddy is doing as a brand is keeping the focal point, the focus is plus size women. And that's really important because what the manufacturers and these apparel companies are always saying is that there's no market for plus size. Like you can't make money prioritizing plus size women. And what she's saying is, you're wrong and I'm going to show you. And she has, like she's been selling out and so many people are wearing Yiddy now. I mean, and we see this in general. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. If there's only a few being made, those few are selling out. Mm -hmm. You know, when you talk about scarcity for large sizes, and we're talking extra large and 2XL, okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody deserves to have these options. I think this is something we've talked about in a couple of different places, but Mm -hmm. we're seeing it once again. I have recently come into contact with some younger women and preteen girls who are just mortified about their images in social media. And I do feel like as someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, that I did not grow up with that pervasiveness of social media controlling my every image. But I think for women, it's always like any image of yourself that's out there in your body, really, it puts you at risk. And so it's concerning. I mean, really, when you think about it, like if... Women's bodies are often under critique mm-hmm. or being critiqued. The mm-hmm. more opportunity to see those bodies, mm-hmm. the more opportunity there is to critique them. And so it is some type of risk. I can remember coming across some pictures of me in the eighth grade. I didn't know anything about posing. <laughs> none of that stuff. I was just like uh, a teenage right. dirtbag, okay, is what I was looking like. Yeah, and now eighth graders these days, they know their angles. They know how to find the light. They know how to smize. They're wearing a full face of makeup. Yes. I mean, things are just very different now. And social media definitely has that effect because what social media does is put you in a place where you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. And so they're looking at some of these celebrities who are absolutely photoshopping their photos and saying, I want to look like that, too. It takes me back to our Edges Snatched episode where we had with Dr. Monty Harris. And he talked about... Mm -hmm the digital camera and the cameras in our phones, taking pictures Mm -hmm. of yourself and constantly evaluating yourself. And then with social Mm -hmm. media, other people evaluating you, you know, and Mm -hmm. like you said, a lot of these folks are Photoshopping these photos. Those photos have run Mm -hmm. through so many processors before they get to your screen. (laughs) Right. If you look like that, call for help. And so on one hand, it's really interesting because celebrities are sometimes being more transparent about like, oh, this is the shape where I'm using instead of pretending Mm -hmm. that it's their natural body. True. But on the other hand, social media means that people are more likely to be scrutinizing our bodies and feel pressure to look a certain way. There's a connection there to feeding that paranoia that women need to be a certain way. We're constantly chasing, chasing, chasing this idealized body, this idealized image of femininity that we can never attain. We're basically self-policing. We're in the panopticon where we're looking at ourselves through the lens of the male gaze and we're saying, no, that's not right. And that's not right. And you have to change that. And you have to change that. 
Dr. Burns Ardolino shared an idea from feminist philosopher Iris Marion Young about how women can occupy the male gaze even when they're trying to avoid it. She's like, people make the argument that I love this beautiful sweater or I love this beautiful piece of shapewear, for example. But what they love, what women are enjoying about it, isn't the experience of wearing the garment, right? The feel of the garment or wearing the garment. They love the way they look in the garment, which the way they look in the garment is them occupying the male gaze and looking at themselves. I really believe that that's a social norm for us, for women. It's like we're pre-programmed from birth to experience our bodies as other people see us right through that social lens. It's almost impossible to see yourself without occupying the male gaze. I think that's a really important framework that Dr. Burns Ardolino is highlighting because I feel like a lot of folks nowadays are saying, oh, I don't dress for men, I dress for women. I like when women are complimenting me. I don't need a man to compliment me, which is true. I'm right there with you. But then you also have to think about why other women are finding what you're wearing attractive. And it's usually because of these patriarchal standards where it's like, yes, waist is snatched, honey. Yes, booty is looking right. Yes, legs and all the things like that. But these are all things that men over the centuries have programmed us to believe is what the definition of beauty is. Wow. I'm about to start saying, yes, girl, posture is slumped. (laughs) Relaxation is on a thousand. Yes, girl, looking cozy, looking comfy, you know? Yes, sleepy girl realness. That's that's right. I love those bags (laughs) under your eyes. I can tell you've been working hard. (laughs) Yes, and so that begs the question of, like, what can we do to detach our self-worth and confidence from the shape of our bodies and how we look? Like, how can we pull those things apart I'm still struggling with it and I'm 54. So I would say what I have come to now based on experience is that if we focus on kind of our mind, body, spirit connection and what it's like to inhabit our bodies in the world and to be whole and well, whatever that means for you, because I think that's a very individualized experience what constitutes that and how can I occupy the space of the healthiest, wellest, fittest version of myself? What is it like to inhabit this body and what joy can we find in this body? And if I focus on that experientially as what that feels like and the practice of that, I think it gets around a little bit the corners of what does your body look like? all the time. Mm, So it sounds like we're trying to shift the perspective from what does my body look like to what can my body do for me or what can I do with my body? Mm -hmm. And that feels like a really powerful approach. Having a body that can do things and finding joy in the capacity of one's body is something that's often denied women, not all women and not always, but a lot of women never experience their bodies as a body that can do things and that can be intentional and can achieve things. I can totally imagine people being like, well, that's a very ableist attitude about women's physicality. But I think whatever your physical limiters are, and I can say this as someone who has a metal plate and 10 screws in my leg, that 
there are still things that you can do. I have been a triathlete for 10 years and I had a major injury in 2017, but I still have a very active lifestyle and applying yourselves to the things that you can do. It does bring you a certain amount of confidence and also like it puts you in relationship with your body in a different way than vis-a-vis the lens of social media or the mirror. (laughs) Mm, That is such a good point. Yeah. So no matter what your abilities are when it comes to your body, you can still enjoy the body that you have and the things that it can do. Right. So here's my pitch. My pitch is for cultural studies and media studies education so that our kids, our students, our women are all going into society with those media goggles on. They have the tools to discern what's happening in society. This makes me think back to Dr. Burns Ardolino talking about being socialized for this kind of stuff from birth, you know? And it makes me think back to people in my family saying, sit still or sit like a lady. Right. Don't wrinkle your dress, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't sweat your hair out. And just, you know, all of these things. Don't get your clothes dirty. Yes, all of that stuff. You're just limiting mm-hmm. yourself. Now, somebody had to do laundry, so I understand part of that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're doing all of these things so other people see you as nice. And I think one of the things we didn't really talk about earlier in the episode, but should be considered, is that we sometimes see this in men, like in the gym bros. Yeah. They're trying to get that ultimate V-shaped body. Mm -hmm. And going to great measures that are very unhealthy to try and get it. Yes. I'm like, why you want to be shaped like Larry the Lobster? Who decided that was in? Exactly. And they face some of the same societal pressures that women face. It's not Mm -hmm. exactly the same. It's different because men still have male privilege. But there's still a lot of men that are suffering because of social media, body image and things like that. Yeah. And I think that just takes us right back Mm -hmm. to this thing that you kind of started touching on earlier, TT, Mm -hmm. about, okay, male gaze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And Mm -hmm. pressure. Mm-hmm. But we still are existing in this society. So right. as long as we're going to exist here, there's something about being able to exist comfortably in our skin. I guess I better copyright Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> but Comfortable in my skin. <laughs> cozy. And shapewear in some ways can be empowering, but it can also be limiting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And from the empowering aspect... Everybody should have access to it, right? Absolutely. So that you can look the way that you want to look when you look in the mirror. I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. Too much of anything can be bad. Now, if you are nipping and tucking with spandex and lycra Mm -hmm. all the time, you may forget or it may start to not like what your body looks like without those things. Right. And that feels very possible. Exactly. And we talked to Monty Oid Harris about the effects of social media and how body dysmorphia is now at an all-time high, it seems like, because people are using these filters and celebrities are using a lot of shapewear, a lot of filters to make their bodies look a certain way, but that's not actually what it is in reality. And it all can negatively affect our perception of ourselves because it's like, wow, how come my body doesn't look like that? When the truth Mm. is, their body doesn't look like that. Such a good point. They're just doing what they want to do in order to look the way that they want to look. (laughs) 
All right, it's time for one thing. This episode focused on shapewear. Mm-hmm. And we talked about some positives and negatives for shapewear, but the reality is people are wearing it. Yes. So shapewear is a part of our everyday lives. And so we really want to support shapewear that is inclusive of every body type, every body size, and of marginalized communities. So we really recommend Yiddy, and we will be adding some more shapewear brands in the show notes. So check it out at dopelabspodcast.com. All right, that's it for Lab 80. I want to know, are y'all wearing shapewear? If you are, what's your favorite kind? What do you like? What don't you like about it? Call us and tell us what you thought. Call us at 202-567-7028. Gabriella, we got your message last week. Okay? Thank you. And so, just know, we are listening to those messages when you do call. Now, the semester is winding down, so don't forget to call in and tell us what you want to hear about in our final episode of the semester, which is going to air on October 27th. Remember, that's 202-567-7028. And don't forget, there's so much more for you to dig into on our website. There'll be a cheat sheet for today's lab and additional links and resources in the show notes. Plus, you can sign up for our newsletter. Check it out at dopelabspodcast.com. Special thanks to today's guest expert, Dr. Wendy Burns Artelino. Her book, Jiggle, is free on academia.edu. You can find her on Twitter at Burns Artelino. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dope Labs Podcast. TT is on Twitter and Instagram at DR underscore TSHO. And you can find Zakia at Z said so. Dope Labs is a Spotify original production from Mega Ohm Media Group. Our producers are Jenny Radlett-Mast and Lydia Smith of Wave Runner Studios. Our associate producer is Caro Rolando. Editing and sound design by Rob Smirziak, with additional mixing and sound design by Hannes Brown. Original music composed and produced by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugiura. From Spotify, creative producer Miguel Contreras. Special thanks to Shirley Ramos, Jess Borison, Till Kratke, and Brian Marquis. Executive producers from Mega Media Group are us, Titi Shodia and Zakia Watley. <laughs>